when I was starting this company, I was so much in debt that when my co-founders put in the initial capital of 10,000 barrels each, I did not have that money to put in. A lot of these people who have got funded, they seem to have aged so much and faster. So it's like, do you want to scale up fast or do you want to be miserable? These pop-ups in Six Flags, which was a big project, but which we couldn't take because we don't have the infrastructure and the capability to do it. I don't believe in the whole treat employees like family concept because decision-making when there's four co-founders, how do you come to an agreement when there's four of you? Welcome to the Young Leader Podcast. We'll be showcasing the very best business owners and thought leaders within the YP Club. We'll be delving deep into strategies on how to scale your business, the things they don't tell you about their industries, and the struggles of scaling a business right here in the Middle East. Welcome back to the Young Leader Podcast. Today, I'll be sat down with our founding member, Matthew. Matthew has been with the YP Club from really from the beginning. He is a very prominent member within the club. He is very well respected. Matthew is the co-founder of Wheels Ahoy. Wheels Ahoy was founded back in 2016 when Matthew identified an opportunity to really create modular vehicles and food trucks because people were essentially bringing them in from America are selling them at a significant premium, meaning the market was really saturated with these high-priced vehicles. What he has done with Wheels Ahoy and three other co-founders, four of them in total, is created a business where modular vehicles and food trucks are more accessible. Not only that, but Matthew is an avid traveler. He has traveled the world. He has his own Instagram page, uh, Matthew on the Road. He is also the founder of the Dubai Business Book Club. Uh, if anybody wants to join, I'm sure you can find it on Instagram. Today, we'll be discussing a number of different topics from finding your own business, the complexities with four different co-founders when it comes to decision-making within a business. We also talk about discipline uh, in your general life and inside business. And we also discuss personal topics such as uh, volatility in personal um, relationships with your other half, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. And yeah, I'm sure it's a very informative discussion with a number of different topics discussed. Welcome onto the podcast. Thank you. You're, um, you're an interesting guy. I always refer to you as like the, the guy with all the personality, the character, the fun guy. When people come into the community, they're always asking, what kind of personalities do you have in DUIP? And I'm always immediately drawn to you as an individual. One of the things that I wanted to ask you just to kick off the podcast, like as I said, it's not just about business, it's more about everything around the personality of the individual. You always seem to be a person that's very positive, right? You've got a very positive outlook, you're always smiling, always laughing, you've got like this really nice aura about you. Where would you say that kind of came from? Where, where did that originate from? Um, so I think I've always been a little of a people's person. Like uh, I still remember when I was doing my MBA in the UK, I kind of flunked almost every exam except for one subject, which is managing people. Mm -hmm. In that, I aced it and uh, I kind of feel I am really good with people. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of uh, empathize with people. I love people. I love their stories. So when I talk to somebody, I feel I, I have a genuine interest in their life. I want to know what is going on in them. 
And the whole positivity came from a little mi- mindset that no matter whatever throws life throws at me, mm-hmm. I am like, this is uh, fodder for my uh, future TED Talk where this will be using his content. So that has been um, like something that I always uh, look forward to or believe in. Yeah. That uh, whatever life throws at you, you have to be uh, positive. Like uh, uh, you cannot be like uh, thinking about the dark negative days. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, it's really interesting because there's like so many people come into the club, right? And a lot of people, they, they'll they come in and you, you have a lot of these introverts, which I'm sure that you, you've come across as well. And, and I think you're someone who's like me who identifies somebody quite quickly if they're introverted. And you're really good at, I'd say approaching them and making sure that you know you make them feel comfortable and stuff. What would you say in terms of those individuals that might not share the kind of same perspective as you and me when it comes to like networking and stuff like that? Like how 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 do you when you go into a room when you come to a social event or something? What what kind of feelings do you have and how would you make sure that you take the most from that kind of event? So it all depends on energy. So if I am, um, I had a good day or uh, if I am still bustling with energy, you know, our events are at the evening. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really hard to get into the groove. But once I enter the room, I see the people. I am like, okay, let me start uh, by introducing myself to one person and mm-hmm. two person. And then whoever is there, even I met so many introverts within uh, the group, but I, I kind of realized that if they are there, means they want to be uh, talking to people, mingle mm-hmm. with people, interact. Uh, it's just that sometimes they are a little too shy. Mm-hmm. So I try to uh, go say a hi and then see if uh, I can introduce them to somebody. I kind of sense that if they are intro- introvert or extrovert at the beginning itself, yeah. depending on how the conversation goes. So I see if we can introduce them, add them to a bigger group mm-hmm. and then uh, make them part of the process because uh, unless they, they feel included, they, they might not be, or they would be thinking, oh, this was like a big mistake. So it, when we are in a community or a group, I feel like we are all in this together. Yeah. So then it's a, it's a big group and we have to like uh, take everybody forward. I think that's very important. And when people ask me and they come to the event and they're asking me to introduce them to people and stuff, sometimes I'm happy to do it. But one of the biggest expectations for me is just to go and say hi to someone. And I think that's the amazing thing about a networking environment. Everybody's open to a conversation, right? Whereas you might go to a nightclub or somewhere else where I know you like to frequent these festivals and stuff. People are actually more open in a lot of these festivals and stuff and to talk, right? But people might even go into a networking event and think that people aren't really prepared to talk to you. Um, But everyone's there with a purpose, which is good. So when it comes to like networking and stuff, I know that you're involved in a lot of different communities. What, how would you say networking has actually helped your business, specifically in Dubai, right? Because I know you're involved in a load of different communities. Yeah. What would you say has been like the things that you've taken away from it? Um, right. So I, I founded Wheels of Oil, my current company, around six to seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have never been to any networking event until a 2022 end. Because we were so busy setting up the company, finding clients. Uh, bringing business that uh, the, the, the scope of networking or the, the potential did not come to me. And then somebody introduced me, one of my friends who, uh, she's no longer in Dubai, she moved back to Lebanon. She sent me a post of uh, Dubai professionals. Uh, I think it was one of those Instagram posts or websites saying, hey, we should go for this event. She never did, I came. And then there was a few other networking events like BNI, which I joined. 
then there is a fun and focused um, and there is a few one or two random networking events that uh, took place in Dubai. I started going to these events, uh, keeping an open mind. It was not necessarily to build a clientele or business, but it just happened that uh, while I'm making new relationships, yeah. I'm also uh, meeting people who could be potential clients. So when I come to DYP, I'm not necessarily uh, looking uh, for a business relationships to begin with. It's yeah. more social, but at the same time, the caliber of the people are pretty amazing. And I have met people with whom I am working currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to, let's say, a business-focused networking like BNI, which is solely for business, over there, it it really helps because these networking platforms are really good where you, you connect with people more. And Dubai is all about relationships. Like, you literally... Yeah. Know somebody wants know that. Somebody <laughs> wants that. Yeah, yeah. At people, uh, more than the quality of the product, they want to work with people. So they, mm-hmm. they, they like to work with people they know, they trust. And uh, that is the key element here. You, you, you meet the right people and then you are good to go. Awesome, awesome. I think um, that's a good time to kind of, we understand that you, you're very much involved in the networking community. Uh, you're a very positive guy. The thing that I really want to get into is your business, right? Because when people ask me, what's the diversity? And again, I don't know why, but my mind is drawn to you in terms of like the business that you do is very different. It's super niche. And I, and I love having those kind of businesses inside the community because when you want to create a very dynamic community, the main thing that you look for is diversity. So um, your business is Wheels Ahoy. As far as I understand, there are four co-founders. Uh, you prepare modular vehicles mainly, right? There's a number of different vehicles that you do. Um, but in, in, in kind of your w- own words, what is Wheels Ahoy? Where did the idea come from? What are the roles of the four co-founders? So Wheels Ahoy was founded around six to seven years ago uh, when um, I, I was working in this company which was importing food trucks from US mm-hmm. and they were selling locally at a very high cost. Okay. And so me and my cousin, who is my first co-founder, we, we kind of identified the opportunity of building this locally. And also at that time, uh, 2015, 2016, food trucks was something uh, really premium. Like they had tried to make it like a, a Dubai version of uh, modular units, where, which was selling these uh, uh, food at a very high prices, mm. which was not making sense because that's not what food trucks are globally. Globally, food trucks mean street food, which, are, which is affordable, where everybody can come and buy. So that particular trend we we thought that okay we need to uh, change it a bit maybe mix it up and uh, with two of my other co-founders so uh, one of them is my cousin and then two of them are other front uh, my cousin takes care of the production he's the he's the genius behind the manufacturing then one of the uh, george he handles the finances and he handles the procurement uh, jitin he handles the marketing and he handles the hr and i am the guy who is doing the business development so the four of us fit uh, perfectly well mm-hmm. in this uh, founding of the business and uh, we were able to create this and where everybody is taking care of their own departments mm-hmm. and the accountability factor is there. That's yeah. that's really interesting that you said that the food truck concept back in Dubai was that they would offer the food at a premium, which I completely agree with you. Having traveled the world, you see a food truck and you think convenient because you know it's going to be affordable, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably, uh, it just bodes well with the overall Dubai environment where they try and create something, it's fun, it's exciting, and they charge a premium. But how did you change the the kind of perception w- around food trucks and the way that that would be priced? You know, I guess it wasn't up to you to change the perception of 
a food truck should sell affordable, good value food. Yeah. How did that transition from 2015, 16 to where we are now? Yeah. So earlier, the food trucks that used to be in Dubai were all imported from US. They, they would have been uh, bought for maybe like over a million and then brought here. And there was not a lot of events where they were uh, being able to participate. There was the last exit, there was the beach. And then what we did was we started collaborating with a lot of these event companies. Uh, like uh, in 2017, there was this concert with Ed Sheeran, which who is again coming uh, next week. So there was a Ed Sheeran con uh, concert. There was a Jennifer Lopez con uh, concert. So with these event companies, we partnered with them to have these food trucks, which were uh, not having any particular spot to go, get these spots. And at the same time, a lot of brands, like one of a very premium burger brand, which is uh, there in every shopping mall, they had also bought a food truck, but they were not able to use it anywhere because the more, whenever they would go look for a spot to park the truck, the malls and the landlords would say, take a shop rather than having a food truck. So uh, we started with helping them sports because they wanted to have these mini pockets across Dubai. So they gave us the food truck and then we managed it for them where they would have their staff uh, sell and make the food under their brand. But we would be man manning the day-to-day -day operations in terms of where they are parked and where they are put. So the, 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 the thought process behind it was let us flood the market with events where there are a lot more pop-ups, uh, a lot more affordable commercials for the trucks, and at the same time, create locally. Because when we, if we are importing a food truck uh, for a, a million and uh, the ROI is very, very high, so when we started local production together with one or two other companies here, uh, we could make a food truck here for less than one-tenth of the cost, which really brought in the, there's a, the cost of ROI here. And uh, right now there are like almost four to five companies which are building locally. There, were, there has always been a trend of importing food trucks from China until COVID, but post COVID that completely stopped. And uh, right now local manufacturing is uh, really booming. And another very good thing which economic department did was earlier there used to be specific spots where food trucks could be marked, but now that has changed to uh, literally everywhere, like there is food trucks in Al Sakal Avenue, there is food trucks in all these hotels, there is food trucks uh, in below a DIFC building. So the only thing which the food trucks compared to the West cannot do here is they cannot stop at random spots in Dubai okay. and sell. But it is much easier for them to get more spots and uh, more events which are happening in Dubai and uh, generate more revenue. What would you say then in terms of the legislation? The first thing that comes to my mind is that as I know we're living in Dubai for only two years, but legislation dictates a lot of what you can do because they're very strict here, right? Compared to some other countries where you might just park your truck and hope, hope for some luck and nobody's going to catch you that day. But in Dubai, you're probably going to get caught within the first 10 minutes, right? So would you say that the Dubai government have really opened up to this idea and the concept of having food trucks and allowing you to park in different places? Yeah. So what they have done is, uh, from the earlier uh, concept of having food trucks in only the food truck parks, which was the last exits and Kite Beach, they, they kind of see an opportunity. Abu Dhabi was the one who first saw it, that uh, food trucks or pop-ups can be put in multiple locations across, as long as they're not affecting, uh, let's say, a shopping mall with a lot of restaurants or a lot of shops. So they, be, sure. they, are, they are a little uh, careful not to affect the business of both parties, even though sometimes it becomes a blur. Mm -hmm. But in Dubai, post-COVID, what they've done is uh, the, the, the opportunities to set up uh, like somebody for me and you, a small pop-up, 
and see or bring a brand or food concept which is from your own country or your own idea into existence, it's much more easier now. They have it. It's very easy. The the old uh, paperwork and legislation. Dubai. That's that's one thing I really like about Dubai. The uh, the government legislations and the ease of starting a business mm. is really straightforward and easy. And then the only thing that you need to worry later is how you are going to scale up, how you are going to keep the quality or uh, work or keep your clients happy, rather than having to worry about how will this uh, a political climate or a government. Uh, uh, will affect my business. When it comes to actually doing business with you, you would rent a food truck. You would use that for three, four months, put it in a really prime location, and then understand whether or not your food concept, if that's very different to what's in the market, is something that people like you know, and they enjoy. Is that something that Wheels Ahoy currently offers, where you can just rent a vehicle for a short period of time and do this kind of proof concept? Um, so what we do, Multiple things, starting which, if you are a homegrown brand, mm-hmm. uh, and if you got a spot in, let's say, Ulster Bal Avenue, or if you got a, a nice spot in GBR, yeah, and the lease is more than six months to one year, we we recommend investing in the whole unit, and then uh, you will be the owner of it. So later, after one or two years of the lease, you can move it to another spot, or you can continue using that. But if you are somebody who wants to, let's say, test the market or try it, or if you already have a restaurant. And if you want to go into one of an event or if you want to go to, let's say, a Dubai Marathon and uh, if you want to go to a beach canteen on these kind of pop-up events, you can rent a unit from us and then we will supply it for you. So what we have done is uh, a lot of uh, corporate brands, especially these uh, big chains like Americana and uh, ELR, uh, these are some of our biggest clients that we work with. What we have done is... Uh, we not only give them the unit or uh, we can rent, we, we even manage those units for them. Because when it comes to events, a lot of times the setup happens at night. So you so if you are looking at this upcoming Ed Sheeran concert, the window of bringing the food truck to the site, deploying, connecting the power, everything that happens at night. So we our team takes care of it. So, yeah. so then operationally, your team can just come in the morning and start selling. And post the uh, post the event, we we have a storage facility where we keep the unit. Mm-hmm. So either you can rent from us or you can buy the unit from us, and then we keep it in our warehouse. And when you say, okay, this is up my next calendar of events that I have, uh, and then we help you deploy the units. So right. we we work uh, in different multiple ways. Uh, to make so if I was gonna rent, for example, one question that comes to my mind is, what different types of units do you have? And secondly, obviously, branding is going to be really important, right? Because you don't want to just rent a unit. It's because the presence of the branding is one of the most important things for a business owner, I'd imagine, at these events. How would you go around that? One, I guess, what types of different units do you have and how do they cater for different businesses? And secondly, how do you manage the branding and the handover of different units when they've done the branding? Right. Uh, so we have different shapes and uh, sizes in, depending on what kind of food uh, you are uh, selling. So if you are, let's say, a pizza concept, you will need obviously a bigger kitchen unit. And uh, if you are something like a coffee or donut, you will need a smaller unit. So depending on the, the, the scale of the event also, if you're going to uh, like a big event like Mother of Nation, even if you are a tiny coffee concept, you will need a bigger kitchen. So it depends on where you are going. Mm-hmm. And in that spot, uh, depending on the space that you are getting, we do the exterior branding. So the first thing is you as a brand, let's say tomorrow you start uh, Camps Burgers. 
Cam Burger has a very uh, unique design which uh, needs to be put on the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole branding can be done and post the rental event, it can be taken out. Like we can okay. do the signage. So the, the whole unit will look uh, as per how you want the whole look and feel to be. And the interior kitchen equipment also, let's say Cam Burger does burgers and waffle. We can give you a waffle maker uh, with uh, equipment like all these fryers and griddles which are needed to make a burger plus waffles. Mm-hmm. So the, the best thing about these uh, food containers, food kitchens are that it is highly customizable. Depending on the equipment that you want to sell for your menu, we mm-hmm. can tailor make it. Uh, okay. the, the only caveat is when you're renting it, uh, you, you spend a lot of money on the whole exterior branding. And if it's after two days, if somebody else is taking it, that stickering, you have to do it again if you're renting. But if you're owning the asset, it is uh, like it, it is your awesome yeah. yeah. So you don't have to. Invest. And how how do you work? Do you work with a local company to do the branding? I guess it's like a, a wrap. Is it is the unit wrapped in a certain vinyl or something? Yeah. So we have a company that we partner with who does all the vinyl wrapping on the exterior body uh, to take care of the signages and then for the menu boards, LED, and we we also do a lot of these event setups. Like if you want us to do like a stage build with LED lights and. Uh, we literally take care of the headache of you doing an activation. Like we we, we work not only with uh, with food brands, we work with Spotify or we work with Namshi, Fendi. Whenever right. they want to do a pop-up, which can be retail, uh, which can be uh, products like uh, protein bars or it can be uh, chocolates. Yeah. There we, depending on every marketing uh, agency or company, they have their vision or idea of how a pop-up should look like. We can help you create... Uh, in GRP, fiber, 3D printing, depending on yeah. the, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, when it comes to buying lens, run me through kind of the process of, I'm a customer, potential customer, I come in, you understand my business needs, let's take a live uh, use case. I would be selling pizzas, my, my concept is pizza. What do you do in that case? You would say, these, these are the options, and you'd look at, what, what would that look like? They'd have, you'd have a specific size in mind, and then you'd have options for fitting out with different things, would you? Yeah. So let's say you want to start Cam's Pizza. Yeah. There is two different type of uh, pizza ovens you would be using depending uh, what kind of pizza you want. Mm-hmm. So there is this conveyor belt pizza ovens. There is deck ovens. So every pizza, uh, like a company from let's say Pizza Hut to Pizza Express, they all use different kind of ovens. So you have to tell us what kitchen equipment you want okay. in a kitchen. And uh, there is two ways you can start in Dubai. One is you want to hit all the events. So the event season starts from approximately October when it starts to get less obvious. Mm-hmm. Till April, there are so many events which you can pick and choose depending on uh, your brand and your uh, how good you are. You would be called for these events. And that's how you make uh, running. Other, another option is uh, you want to put your food truck in Marina or if you want to put it in JBR or Monto City, you sign a lease to find a landlord who is willing to give you a spot and you sign a lease with them, they give you, uh, like, let's say, give you a parking spot and they, they give you a, uh, the power that you require because all the food trucks here are mostly electric. You can have that as your pop-up restaurant, which is not moving. Mm-hmm. So you can either go for events, you can go for permanent locations, More or you choice. can do both, depending on how you want. So once I've been with you, I've agreed what kind of, uh, what van I need and everything. What's the next steps then in terms of how do your team deploy and execute on that? How do the different co-founders play a role? 
you've done the BDM role, you've most likely nurtured the relationship. That relationship has come in. They've now sat down with the team. They've designed the, the, the vehicle that they want and they've done exactly what they need inside and everything has been mapped out. What's then the process inside your team to make sure that that is the exact vehicle that is delivered? And what does the timelines look like? Um, our usual standard production line uh, timeline is around 40 days in which we need 10 days for design. So let's say you are coming with a Pizza concept and you say that uh, you got a spot at JBR mm-hmm. to start your, uh, your venture and that's the first location. You already signed the lease and you want to start in a month. So in, in our office, the first thing we do is a kickoff meet with you identifying all the kitchen equipment that you will need inside and this goes for retail out. So let's say mm-hmm. you are starting a perfume shop. So in a perfume shop in JBR, it's pretty much the same drill. You will tell us inside, I need these shelves, these racks, these display cabinets, uh, these fridges for customers to come in and drink. So whatever you need inside, we will map it out. Our designer will map and then we, we use AutoCAD, we use 3D uh, to show you how the, the end product will look like mm-hmm. and you get it approved and then our team, uh, it sends to our production. So right now we have two production facilities, one in Russell Core and DIP. Russell Core is where we make a smaller units, which is uh, a lot of these tuk-tuks and carts and kiosks, which are not more than two to three meter in size. And anything which is five and massive units in shipping containers and big trailers caravans, we built in DIP now. Okay. So once the layout is approved, the drawing is sent to the production team and then uh, my partner Joe, he is the one who is leading the production. He sees the schedule. He, he allocates the team. He has a group of engineers who will be awarded the project and they uh, they will be given that uh, timeline and all. Mm-hmm. George, my partner, the numbers guy, he makes sure that the procurement and uh, uh, the, the costing and the budget does not exceed. He gets yeah. very upset if, <laughs> if we overshoot the margins that we are hoping to get. And uh, once the product is almost done, uh, throughout the process, Jitin, who handles the marketing, he does everything from, uh, let's say, doing the product shoot and uh, doing the interior uh, 3D mapping and all. A lot of these information, since we sign NDA, we don't release in the social uh, outside. But uh, it all these information is kept uh, from a marketing perspective. And a few of them is released in our social media. Perfect. Yeah. I'm really keen to then understand, right? I understand that you've got uh, Russell Core for, was that the the OG basically? That was where you started and then DIPs and you, was it? Yeah. So we started, our first trade license that we took was yeah. with Rocky's Free Zone. Okay. That was our first year in 2017, 2018. Yeah. We took our production facility because we decided, okay, it's time to start manufacturing. We uh, took it near to the airport, Padal uh, Hammer, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, three years ago, we moved to Russell Koran right when the pandemic hit. So it was not uh, the best time to have a production facility with uh, your staff and your production team and uh, engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a bit of a ride. Okay. And uh, last year, we signed the DIP list because we needed a bigger production. And uh, we last year... Uh, 2022, we took a production facility in Sharjah also, where we do only shipping containers. So shipping containers, we need an open yard, which is like an open factory uh, where, where there is no roof, but Russell Core and uh, DIP is closed warehouses. Mm-hmm. Okay, understood. So um, was it, it was George manages the finances, right? Uh, who does the procurement? Uh, 
uh, he does the procurement. Also. He does the procurement. So he manages the the procurement okay. and the finance as well. And so it's mainly steel, I imagine, right? And the containers are already pre-made. The containers. Yeah. So where where does George like? Where does he go out into the market? And what is he looking for? Is there certain suppliers that you deal with regularly? Because you're looking for a certain quality grade of steel, I imagine, right? Yeah. And how do, how does the, how does that work? Yeah. So we uh, most of our uh, food trucks is made with aluminium body, and interiors is stainless. So he has a set of vendors that we regularly work with mm -hmm. and uh, who give us these products at a very good pricing and uh, help us keep stock. So in a lot of uh, cases, the stock is uh, maintained by us because as and when we need it, we can use it. But he's okay. the one who is keeping the inventory and also we have a, a good supplier list of kitchen equipment because sometimes uh, unless you are a US franchisee brand, uh, like Wingstop or Starbucks, you will uh, want your help uh, in the kitchen equipments also. So then depending on your budget, like if you can spend a lot more money, we, we have these Italian kitchen equipment vendors, uh, then there is Spanish, Turkish, there is from Taiwan. So we pick as per your budget and then we put it inside. So he manages the, the vendor database of all uh, things that we procure. And how does that, when you get the aluminium in, I'm just trying to understand, like, because you've just said there's so many different shapes, right? What, what, how do you take a sheet of metal and how does that look like, it, you know, to bend it and curve it into different shapes and stuff? What does your facility look like? How, how is that process? Uh, so we have these uh, bending machine, CNC cutting machines, which okay. uh, makes it much easier to do it not manually. Earlier we used to do... Uh, all these process manually, which used to take us a little bit more time to produce. For by hand? By hand, yeah. Because it was it was like a skilled uh, man's jobs to do wow, okay. at a manual level. Yeah. But now... Sounds hard. Yeah, it, it's, it is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it takes a lot more time also. Okay. But now we have all the uh, state-of-art machinery, which makes it much more easier to build the same thing. A better quality, shorter time frame, it makes it much easier. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me is uh, it seems like you're investing quite aggressively. You've mentioned some really good machines and stuff, and you've got three locations. Is it difficult? Like, in the beginning, are you just investing everything that you made back into the company with the hope that at one point in the future, you know, that's going to pay off? Yeah. Is, is that what the kind of consensus is among the co-founders? Uh, so it's fairly uh, interesting how we started. Um, because when I was start starting this company, I was so much in debt <laughs> that uh, when my co-founders put in the initial capital of 10,000 barrels each for uh, the initial uh, trade license, I did not have that money to put in. And I told them, guys, I I'm, I'm coming in with my head and the business idea that I'm bringing. So that is my 10,000. So uh, over the period of the last six years, we have constantly made money put it back rather than having investors uh, on board or people who are willing to fund our ventures. So uh, starting from the small facility that we had in Nadal Hammer to Russell Court to now DIP, uh, we, we, it's, it's always we made the money, put it back in, made the money, put it yeah. back in. So we are like a um, hundred person bootstrap company. And that every three, four months when we have our partners board meetings, uh, we, we look at the people who have always approached us for investing or partnering with us. And uh, then uh, uh, we kind of uh, feel that we we'll, we'll, we're afraid to lose our autonomy. Mm -hmm. So then we kind of uh, say that, okay, let's keep it bootstrap. Uh, Are you seeing that there's a lot of people out there in the market that want to invest and want to partner with you and see? Because 
I think it's just, uh, it's constantly evolving, right? The kind of industry that you're in, events are becoming a lot more prevalent across the GCC. Saudi now is you know, starting to open and run these crazy festivals as we saw, I think a month ago. So the opportunity is huge, right? So you're seeing a lot of people trying to capitalize and trying to partner with you, seeing that that growth is huge. Yeah, uh, especially in the, the how the modular industry is evolving in Dubai. Like 2024 is when you will see a lot of drive-throughs being built using modular technology. Like earlier, this, this used to be all actual buildings. If you look at all the coffee shops and burger shops and takeaway shops, which, were, which have these drive-through lines, they were actual buildings. But 2024, uh, in two, three months, you will see a few of our projects for coffee, for food, which have been built using shipping containers and modular LGS. So people are seeing the potential not just in events, but they're seeing the potential in having these kind of construction methods. Mm. It saves time, saves cost. We can get the approvals faster. Like uh, building an actual building might take like approximately six million, sorry, six months, mm. uh, while the same we can deploy in maybe less than two months. So uh, that's how uh, they are seeing the future of ROIs okay. and uh, wanted to partner with us to do that. Uh, that's interesting because I hadn't really heard about like the modic modular buildings and stuff. Is that the same concept then pr pr uh, predominantly driven with this aluminium material? Are you bringing in different materials to be able to build that? Uh, so LGS is a whole another uh, technology okay. and shipping containers stacked on top of each other and uh, creating these uh, designs, which is a combination of, so in a normal food truck, customers cannot come in. Mm -hmm. But in all these drive-throughs and uh, drive-throughs with seating, it would be multiple shipping containers combined together, making into like, let's say a cafe with the customers able to come inside during the summer, sit inside. And when the weather is nice, they can go up, they can sit outside and all. And uh, uh, what a lot of big companies here, they are realizing is, uh, they they can scale up much faster and they can get temporary locations built, put it there, let's say for four or five months and then move it from there later on if the location is not working rather than investing in something which they might or might not make money in. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I know I was just speaking to another member about this kind of environment right now around Dubai with uh, everybody talks about, oh, are you going to take investment? Have you considered this VC fund? Have you considered this angel investor? All of the, I think there's a lot of pressure now around business owners to look for an exit strategy, look for funding and stuff. I, I think what I understand is that you're still very much, uh, you haven't taken any funding. You've gone through that period of being bootstrapped, investing back heavily into the business. As the partner cohort, the, the co-founders, the four of you, is that something that you still think is in the next five, five to 10 years maybe, or even sooner, is taking funding something that you've considered? Uh, so when it comes to certain markets, we are definitely open to partnering with somebody who would be willing to invest in the business. Like right now we are actively uh, searching in Saudi for companies who yeah. would be willing uh, to partner with us over there. But in Dubai, what we feel is uh, our nature of work makes sense. And uh, the, the, the first thing I notice is uh, a lot of these people who have got funding, especially my, a few of my friends who I've got, they 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 seem to have aged <laughs> so much and faster. And yeah. if they and the and the and the, they say that, so it's like, do you want to scale up fast or do you want to uh, be miserable? <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a catch uh, thirty two situation where um, 
it, it depends on what you want. So if you have an exit strategy of, okay, I'm going to make this company this big and then I would uh, sell it or sell shares and then I would start something out, it, it makes sense to have investments and all. Yeah. But currently at this stage, we are, uh, we are doing a lot of things that we absolutely love. Every project that we do is a little bit more challenging, a little bit more new. So uh, how we at the team at avoid uh, the the rapport and the bonding, like like uh, we uh, we we do not have anybody quit. I don't want to jinx it. Like nobody has quit Wheels Ahoy uh, yet. Like every member who has joined has been with 100% us. Hundred percent retention. Hundred percent retention. Hundred percent retention. There's been one or two who just came oh. for a month. It was yeah. not a good fit. But anybody who has been with us for over six months, mm. they. They, they absolutely, uh, the, the, the type of team bonding and the value and the, the work culture is such that uh, it works. And they, 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 they have often said that a lot of their friends, when, when, when it's Monday, they are like, oh, we have to go to work, we have to go to office. But mm. they don't feel uh, Monday or a weekday has uh, work anymore because it's, it's, we are actually playing, we are creating something, we are doing something, we go have fun, we, we go uh, do a lot of these interesting stuff. So... They, they kind of know that they, outside it might be a little bit more uh, difficult. And that's something that I learned from uh, working with American Express. I used to uh, work with them and the work culture that they have, how they literally value and uh, treat people with respect. That is something I feel like uh, I wanted to do here and it, uh, it's been going good. So if we have investors on board, mm. that... I've seen companies uh, kind of struggle at the attrition rate and the pressure. So uh, that is something we are trying to avoid. But uh, on uh, if you look at the larger picture for absolute scaling, because a lot like uh, two years ago, we were approached by one of the companies to build uh, Six Flags. Uh, a lot of these pop-ups in Six Flags, which was a big project, but which we couldn't take because we don't have the infrastructure and the capability to do it. But okay. of course, if we have the investment, if we have the team, if we have those high uh, big production facility we can do those projects but that's uh which one do you prefer i definitely resonate with that and i think one of the things that maybe a lot of founders don't consider in the beginning when they take the funding is the potential risk to the values and culture that you're trying to cultivate inside your business because when a, especially with a vc fund coming in providing money they need to try and three four five x that if not more that investment in three to five years right and I think as a founder, once you've taken that funding, the pressure that you're going to have is to be looking to grow that business. And the only way, you know, there's multiple ways that you can grow it, but you need to maximize output from your employees and a lot of pressure would go onto them. So I, I really like the, the way that you approach your business and uh, what you've said about the, um, the retention rate and stuff. But I think I'm, I'm really interested to see how do you cultivate a culture like that? How do you, as one of the founders, um, how, how do you, lead from the top per se so that that culture that you're trying to create really resonates with your employees i think uh, number one thing would be always uh so for a lot of companies it's always clients first for us it's employees first and then clients mm -hmm. because uh, unless employees are happy they will not be taking care of the clients mm -hmm. so that is very important and everybody who works with ahoy uh they they have the priority that we always tell them is also to take care of your health, your mental health, your family. So uh, any emergency they have, any travel trips they have, there is not exactly on the books uh, saying, oh, you have this much uh, holidays or this much travel. As long as the work is going on, 
uh, there have been cases where uh, if okay, I, sometimes they would be like, I'm not in a mood to come today. It's fine. Mm. The work doesn't stop. Like our clients shouldn't suffer. The production shouldn't suffer. Rest where you do the work or how you do it. It's up to you. Like you can right. come to office. You cannot come to office. Uh, just get the get the job done. That's number one. And also, uh, uh, like I don't believe in the whole or treat uh, employees like family concept because it, your family is your family and your employees are employees. But at the same time, there is a degree of respect and dignity which uh, I feel like when I I was working in Dubai during my initial years, uh, what I did not get, I want to make sure that I my people that I work for me have it like they feel valued they they their ideas are heard but they they literally every day if there is something any of those co-founders are doing which is not right it's an open forum they they, they can literally say to our face that uh, uh this is not right or we could do it better and we are always open to suggestions and even on the floor like we have almost like more than 50 uh people on the floor working who if they are older than me, they just copy my name. They are no sir, no boss. Yeah. So the, the culture is very friendly. We keep the fun element alive. Like, uh, if, and we do a lot of events where, we, even though we we are working, we we do it more for the fun. We sometimes we do events just for the sake of doing events and uh, promoting food trucks and promoting our truckers, rather than thinking how much money we will make in that. Because mm -hmm. money will come. What we realize is, yeah. uh, if you do anything thinking, okay, what are the numbers? Uh, it, it's not going to be sustainable in the long run. <laughs> you won't believe the, the number of times I give food trucks for free to clients. Like somebody wants to start a business yeah. and they say that, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, okay, I shouldn't be saying this, but uh, he, they that sounds that like need, you actually, it's yeah. too kind. They have a concept which they want to launch and they want to rent it for one or two days. I'm more than happy to like, okay, take the truck, try it out. So yeah, yeah George is not very happy <laughs> sometimes, but it works for us. But I guess for you as well, it's, I think you mentioned in the beginning, and this is what I like to do when I sit down with uh, members is, understanding you as a person and then understanding the relationship of where the conversation started right in the beginning you said relationship is so important right so you as an individual will know by giving away like two days for somebody to try a concept that they will be that you're breeding loyalty so if there's ever an opportunity there in the future that they'll come to you um, but one of the things I want to touch on still with the employees and the culture and stuff is how, what's your hierarchy like within Wheels Ahoy and how do you assess performance and how do you give them career progression. How does that look like in Wheels Ahoy? Uh, so, when we currently, the four co-founders are, are managing four different heads. So I handle the business development, so the sales team, uh, and anything which is doing uh, business development come under me. Mm -hmm. uh, new market penetrations, all of that. We have like a team of two to three people who are managing that. Uh, then events also come under me. So uh, we have an events team who actively looks for new events for uh, our potential for truckers to go to. So that is also management. And uh, finance by George, uh, Jitin handles the marketing and the HR. So the, the hierarchy is we, we don't exactly hire people who are technically qualified. We, we hire them for the aptitude. Mm -hmm. Like recently we hired somebody in the business development field who, who had zero experience in sales and marketing. Okay. But the, 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 the attitude was there, the, the, the urge or the hunger to learn is there. And we know that it's much more easier for somebody to join the team with the right mindset and attitude rather than 
being working somewhere and coming with that culture into the company it is going to kind of you know wreck havoc because one bad apple can yeah, i always say this uh, make a lot of so it, the the whole working environment is of team building and also we like like when we when we do mistakes yeah so uh, when we do great things we we make sure that that particular person or that particular team is recognized but when we do mistakes then it's everybody is doing the mistake it's not we don't pinpoint to one person saying that okay you did that uh, these are the consequences no whatever happened happened but we we kind of take the pressure off and hierarchy wise if you if our operation manager wants to be like tomorrow uh, present himself as operation head to a client will be more than welcome so yeah. the the they literally like having uh donning multiple hats and uh, that what makes like a startup they're not exactly like a startup anymore but uh the the culture is still startup like everybody you can find people in ahoy working on the floor in a bean bag to uh, standing somewhere or running around crazy so it's like a bubble uh facebook or instagram office kind of style there even though we are manufacturing yeah one of the things i was thinking about as well is decision making when there's four co-founders how how do you go around that when there's maybe there's differentiating views and stuff like that inside the company how do you come to an agreement when there's four of you sometimes it gets really hard mm-hmm. because when there are four people with four different opinion four different world views uh sometimes the discussions get uh, about okay what do we do next or what do we do best but one thing that we four of us have identified in our core is that whatever decisions or ideas it's for uh making us better making more revenue getting the company higher so we are very respectful and mindful of that and earlier until when the first three years all the even the tiniest of decision of buying an office stationery we would take it together four of us if we have this whatsapp group or if it's like a little bit bigger decision we would sit and we would discuss uh but now that it we have scale up we are more than 70 people it's hard to be, uh, do every decisions uh, together so it's all we have like uh, i handle anything if i needs to purchase or do something or talk to a new client uh, business development all of that i i just do it and then i will be updated in the weekly board meeting okay. so uh, the dynamics has to be very very clear the roles have to be very much defined earlier it it makes sense because for the first year we were literally all working from an apartment where we were literally uh, uh like our the, the the place that we were sleeping and the place we were working was a blur so, yeah. so over there it didn't matter but as you scale up you you have to have decisions taken on the spot mm-hmm. that you get there is no time to go back and discuss and uh, especially if it's like a valuable discussion when it comes to clients and pricing sometimes i just make the decision and i tell them that okay this is what has been agreed on and uh, this is what we are going ahead and as uh, so, and the trust factor has to be there like if i make a decision saying that okay i am going to do this for this rate they are going to pay x amount later they know they know they, they know that i'm doing it for one a particular reason and then nobody questions me and uh, yeah. over the period of time our decisions the majority has been pretty helpful for the company and uh, that has helped a little i've recently realized that you've launched the book club i saw a couple of pictures i think you've done your second now what brought that around and how how has it been so far so i used to read a lot of books when i was young i in fact i wanted to be a writer and okay. uh, 
I used to read all the classics like Great Gatsby or all the Hemingways. If I if I could go back to live in a certain time frame, I would pick 1920s, uh, the classical uh, Paris and all that. So when I moved to Dubai and I uh, started working, the whole habit of reading kind of stopped mm. until two years ago when I joined a book club here in Dubai and uh, slowly I, I got into the groove of reading again. And the thing about reading these days is there is so much distraction, like so much of uh, other uh, things that you can do, like watching TV or Instagram and doom scrolling, yeah. where literally you try to read two pages and yeah. instantly your hand goes to the phone. So, <laughs> so everybody's reading habit ha- has gone for a toss. And reading is such a important factor in success, I feel like. There is a there is a book for everything. Like if you want to uh, get some entrepreneurial motivation, there is books for that. There is Shoe Dog, which there which shows the story of the Nike. I love that life. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah, that book was uh, like kind of like a turning point in my life, which made me read a lot of other books about entrepreneurs like Sir Richard Branson. I've read both of his oh, books, oh, man. I love yeah. that book. The, yeah, the one where he said that he stayed outside the guy's uh, apartment and the first guy that he signed to the record. Yeah. We've seen it when he said he stayed outside oh. and then he smoked some weed with the guy. Yeah, it's an amazing segment. that chat. story? Like, uh, yeah. So, uh, have you read the second book? Uh, I, I don't think I have. I don't think it comes to mind. Yeah. I don't know if that what, what the differentiation so is. One is losing virginity uh, and second is finding my virginity, which is a little bit more recent. So, I don't the, think I've so heard losing that. my virginity talks about his years of founding virgin, his beginning years, mm-hmm. and finding is more about now that I have this empire, where do I go from there? So both are pretty incredible for me because um, if you look at an entrepreneur, he is somebody that I really look up to because he he literally puts his foot in everything mm-hmm. and he succeeds because uh, if you're starting a business, there is a key principle which you need to follow and you're, you you can make it work. It's just about knowing that. So, And he goes in detail about these books, sharing his wisdom, which uh, when you are successful, what I realize is people want to share it. They, they want other people to succeed. Like when you are happy or when you are in a happy relationship, you are like, Okay, who else do I? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but if you are single and miserable, you are like, oh no, if I am such single, a good point. <laughs> everybody is single. So that was a turning point. Shoe Dog and reading about uh, the Starbucks CEO book, um, Pour Your Coffee or Pour Your Heart Into It. So when I started reading those books, I then slowly got into reading self-help books like Atomic Habits. And then I started reading books like uh, Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win... Um, how to win friends and influence people. So even though I'm good with people, when I read these books, I, there is always a few tips which I take away, okay. which has really helped me improve in whatever I felt that I am still good at. So uh, when this book club was there, we were doing a combination of fiction and nonfiction. And uh, what I realized was, let's do something which the people like entrepreneurs or professionals who wants to get into a habit of reading and be a part of community, come together, discuss about books, decide on books and read which they always wanted to read, but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. So we did two of our meets. The, in the second meet, we almost doubled the number of people who participated. Amazing. Yeah, so we have almost 90 to 100 people in our open WhatsApp announcement group, almost 25, 30 members now. And uh, we are starting the third uh, meet planning for February. So. 
when we read as a community collectively, uh, we are able to um, you know cover more things faster. And how does that work then? So say for example, we we you well, you would choose shoe dog for this month. Do you announce it in the WhatsApp group and then give everybody a month to finish it and then discuss it in an open format? And is there any agenda or structure around that? So the first book, uh, the first meet, first book was decided by me. But ever since uh, there is nominations, okay. so people who wants to nominate the book for the next month, we just tell them, okay, let's go. We let we have done enough self help or enough, uh, or let's go uh, twist it up a bit, make it a little bit about biography. Then people who nominate those books, we put it in the group for uh, in the group that we have, and that book get selected. Okay. So it's mostly what you want to read. If everybody is in the same uh, mind that okay, this is something that uh, we want to read, then we select it as the book for the coming month, and then we uh, meet and then we talk about the books and we 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 talk about how that particular book has affected us. What were our key takeaways and narrative uh, stuff like that? And what are the two books that you've done so far? Then what, what were they? We have done uh, Atomic Habits and we did the Compound Effect. That was the last book we okay. did, which was uh, done by Darren Hardy. Both very brilliant book. They are there in Audible. So in Audible, if you are the subscription, uh, this uh, Compound Effect is free, and both the books have been narrated by the authors themselves. So okay. if you have four hours and your book, and if you're used to listening to podcast, it's very easy to listen to audiobooks and. In a in a in a day and uh, time, and literally my whole day is spent like work and gym and traveling, meeting clients. I don't have time to sit and read for mm-hmm. half an hour to one hour, no matter how much I want to. Um, the only time I actually get to read a physical book is on a plane, mm-hmm. and not in Dubai ever. So here now, if I'm commuting, I will always have my audiobooks instead of listening to music or radio. So that's how I. I, th- I think that's a, an interesting point again because I think a lot of people now taking information through audio right, or, or visual. The, I think there is a trend where people are reading less. And I was listening to a Steve Bartlett podcast recently with uh, Chris Williamson, and he was basically saying that he spent time and studied a lot of really um, inspirational people and really successful people, and just realized that they. It, it was called The Curse of Knowledge, actually. I'll bring it up with you. Have you heard of it? No. No, no, no it's so interesting. And he basically was saying that people that spend too much time reading and understanding too many things, they have this limiting belief in their mind that because they've had all these different points of knowledge, that, that you cannot do something because you have all this knowledge that you've consumed from people that you aspire to and think that they've gone on this journey and come to the destination. And then what happens basically is that you think it's impossible to do. So people like your Elon Musk's of the world haven't actually read that many books. Or, you know, you would think this guy's read a load of stuff, but he actually hasn't. And uh, what Steve was saying, and I, and, I, and I think it's interesting, was with the curse of knowledge, when you know too much, there's a limiting belief on certain things. So you can't actually push and achieve uh, a number of different things that you might want to do because you now believe it's not capable of being achieved. And I'm not saying not to read, but I do think there's like this thing where you become too knowledgeable about a certain thing or self-help books for, you know, when you start to read a lot. But there is this argument as well, and I believe this is go out and action things. So once you've read and consumed something, try your best to actually go and action it instead of just continuously reading and taking all this pool of knowledge and not actioning anything. Actioning, yeah, that's very true, by the way, because a lot of these self-help books comes with actionable points. So uh, you have to read 
uh, your favorite top five self-help books at least twice in a year. You you have to go back uh, revisiting it. Like Atomic Habits, I felt like I grasped a lot more on my second read, which I did yeah. for the book club. So uh, you 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 cannot read every self-help book out there. Uh, it's literally impossible. Just pick three or four. Do that. There are so many other categories like. There, I feel like there is a book for everything. Mm. Like if you want uh, a little bit of motivation, read about entrepreneurs, read about uh, Steve Jobs. There is a Becoming Steve Jobs. And if you want to uh, be more social or if you want to, these days I'm trying to, um, I'm reading a book uh, which is Seven Principles of uh, Public Speaking. Okay. So you have to mix and match and you, you kind of, maybe you will take one key point from each book and that is okay. But it's just that the more you read that the more you are, getting information which is not I, I like junk from all this other time that we are spent on reels or white noise which is radio like when, when I was driving earlier uh, uh, there would always be a radio playing in my background but now it's a quiet place with my books obviously like if I have a very long meeting after that I, I would play one of my usual songs uh, in my Spotify playlist but majority of the time I, I, I like that area in my car where at least I get one hour of listening to a book, which really adds a lot more value because I can finish maybe two to three books in a month easily. Which, if I actually sit to read, yes, it's possible. Never possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Possible. I completely agree. Yeah. And, I, and I'd resonate with that massively. I think uh, one thing that you said that I liked as well is when you've had a, a strenuous day, you don't want to listen to audio. You want to listen to your music, music and go yeah, to your yeah, playlist. Yeah. And I found that recently where I've been listening again to a lot of podcasts. And then I get in the car, sometimes I feel guilty because I'm not consuming information, yeah. but I'm like, I just want to listen to music this yeah. time. Yeah, It's it's hard to manage, it's, isn't it? Because you get on this thing where you're like, I should be consuming constantly. True, but I feel like when I, uh, when I listen to music only sometimes, it feels like you feel more good mm. because you're not listening to 10, 15 songs in a day, maybe one or two songs. Yeah. And that song suits you differently. Like you, you, and you have to uh, be careful not to get burned out because literally in the, in the, in the day and age when we are hustling, we are, we are trying to stay healthy, eat healthy, work yeah. out, work on our goals, travel. Uh, we have to take care of mental health and burnout is so common. Have you seen burnout in your journey in the way where you've come to and like how has that affected you and how have you managed it? Workplace burnout a little rare because we constantly that like our projects are not similar to each other. So since it every every project A's project is different from B, as long as uh, we don't have the burnout of work, it is not there. But at the same time, I'm somebody who who likes to travel. And being an entrepreneur, it's literally impossible. Like I feel, even though I, I've been traveling for every month for five days, uh, for the last six, seven years, I haven't taken a holiday where you are completely like your mind is turned off. Because yeah. even when I'm traveling, I'm working. So that is a burnout I try to avoid by doing different things. Because when I'm in Dubai, Saturday, Sunday, I, I probably go to the beach and then I go to a cafe and I'm working there. So you're working seven days. And uh, you are constantly uh, bombarding yourself with information or new things to try. That is a burnout, like a fatigue of uh, doing a lot of things like multitasking and all that. You have to be careful and you have to find your ways to take a step back and then do things which relaxes your mind and your body and then go back it again. Because if, you're on, if you are continuously fatigued or uh, you have a burnout, you, your productivity levels will really go down. Yeah. 
Interesting. I was um, listening to this guy. He, uh, I can't remember. Rian Doris, I think his name is. He's basically uh, he he came up with this thing. I don't know if it was him particularly, but he came up with this thing called VUCA and how you try and minimize it in your life so that you can continue with the whatever successes that you're finding. And VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So any in any place in your life, if you have any of these four, you need to try and minimize it. And I really, really try to apply this to my life and I think it's helped me a lot. So if I think now, um, in any person's life, right, you have your business, your fitness, and then your personal life with your family, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever. And if any of them are giving you any like high levels of VUCA, so the volatility and stuff, it's really gonna affect other parts of your life. So for me now, uh, you know, recently, I think I've changed my approach in terms of I don't really go out in Dubai. I don't, apart from YP Club, I don't try and socialize. My home environment is really strong, as strong as I can have it. I think that's what's really helped me to manage my focus and my attention and make sure that I feel that in my business that I can keep driving it forward because everything else is managed. Yeah. How, how have, you, have, you, have you? I completely agree. I, like me and my partner, we always say that number one thing that we need is the house is peace. Yeah. Because if we don't have a peaceful, loving environment at home, Whatever outside you do, you might be conquering the world. It wouldn't matter because you are not uh, in your safe place or wherever you are. If you are not happy, then none of it outside makes sense. So that balance is very important. So for me also to do different things to keep the sanity alive. Like even at, at I feel like uh, uh, any pressure from work, we can still manage because it's all about finding solutions or coming up with new ideas. But if uh, where we are living or uh, our partners or immediate family, if we don't have a synergy of peace with them, and if, if that is something which is not working out, nothing else will work out. Okay, I'll, I'll bring another school of thought to you, which is, I think you'll like this one. They basically did um, assessments for like a, a prolonged amount of time on CEOs and senior people within a company. And they basically looked at how they manage stress and how different things in their life would affect their stress levels. So take now, you know, say, say the S&P 500, all the CEOs and founders, whatever, from those companies. And they looked at how their health was affected by their daily routine. Right. They found a significant drop in stress levels. Like their stress levels stayed the same in a certain group of people. And another group of people, their stress levels were really high. And the one thing that this group of people where their stress level remained the same, the one thing that was different they would always go back home and have dinner with their family in that evening. That was the one thing. Yep. How interesting is that? Like that one thing, the change in your day that would affect your stress level so much. It is so true. It is so. So when you are a business owner, the, the time that you're working and uh, the time you spend with the family is always a blur. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you would get calls when you're spending time with your, I don't have kids, but uh, if I have kids and I am spending time with them and my constantly I'm checking my phone and my email, then it kind of blows uh, and there is no balance as such. But if you have a very healthy family where you have boundaries, where you are spending time, quality time with them, and you are uh, doing having a lot of experiences with them and giving them in a week an allocated time where you, you do not worry about work and you're spending time with them, that would be like a game changer if I can 100% relate to that. And I think that's so challenging, isn't it? When you're with somebody that you, you love, and I, I, I'm, I'm guilty for this actually, I um, I was I was I was looking up at like what makes you driven, right? Like where does your drive and stuff come from? Because a lot of people like 
my entire life I've always been super focused and stuff and there's this this new guy kind of brought this new perspective to me that I was listening to I can't remember specifically who it was I think it was um it was like a specific podcast for startups and he was talking about like insecurity right from childhood to like like money was specifically something that was an issue for us when, when I was being when I was a kid and I think now my my work rate is crazy like I, I physically find it hard not to work yeah and I fight I feel security in working because that of that insecurity from childhood around money and stuff yeah. so when I'm working I feel like the security there because if I'm not working I think maybe my subconscious mind thinks there might be a, a problem in the future yeah like I'm I'm allowing a problem and inviting a problem into my life because my work rate and my hustle so yeah. to speak hasn't been the level that I might deem appropriate um have you have you experienced something like that in your life where you're you know you're constantly working and there might be something there that you feel like you constantly need to work or do you find it quite easy to balance and manage it so uh, at least for the four years of wheels of Hoy, there was not a lot of traveling there's not a lot of taking breaks um but one thing i realized is that you're getting older and there's so much to see in the world so much to experience that's when i i, I decided that okay even uh, in a month, even if for two, three days, I would like to uh, travel. And how I consider travel is the minute I am in the airport. So I travel a lot from Abu Dhabi airport because that's where my favorite airline flights. <laughs> Where's that? Where's that? <laughs> we know. My favorite go-to airline. So when they are in, uh, when I enter Abu Dhabi airport, that itself is where my travel journey begins. So even if I'm going somewhere for three days, uh, I can capitalize that as three whole days rather than people waiting to go. Our journey or our uh, vacation or holiday will begin the minute we land where or once we are in a hotel and then we put our bags and they are like, okay, now our holiday begins. For me, it's always the minute I am in the airport, I go to the lounge, I probably I have a drink and then I, uh, I spend some time there. I am in the zone of uh, taking a break. And uh, that is so important to balance it out because Correct. you constantly are working all the time and you blur the gap between work and uh, taking time off and you feel guilty about taking like half an hour if you don't do anything, you feel guilty. And that's, again, all these successful people's key mantras like, okay, meditation and all. Like I'm slowly looking into meditation this uh, this year because okay. I never used to do any yoga or meditation. But I feel at night, your mind is so much working that you find it hard to sleep. Like you said, like when you go for an event and you come back, yeah. it, because the mind is literally on a turbo X mode. So how do you calm it down? So these are things like for wellness and all, if we can find a balance, mm. we would be able to succeed. And one thing I realized what success means for me from before, which was probably money and fame, it has become time. Like if I can, if I can get time for me, to do my things in the way I like it. Like if I can uh, take time out in a day to work out in the afternoon, if I'm not able to do it in the morning, spend time or have go home and have dinner with my family instead of having to work or do something else, I would consider that would be the number one priority. I, I think a lot of people have shifted their, their mindset from money and fame to more freedom of time. I think, exactly, yeah. I don't know if that's a post-COVID movement more, more than anything, but I think I can definitely resonate with you in terms of like the freedom of time is massive and one of the things that I've realized and I'd love to have more of and sometimes one of the reasons that drives me so much is when I have my own family unit and stuff to be able to say actually I say this to my friends all the time and it's, it's just such a stupid small thing in life but like when I worked for my corporate boss I'd often say um 
I don't want to be in a situation where my boss is like, you've got to come to work at 8am, but my son, for example, wants to go to play football that morning and I can't go. It's just having that flexibility to be like, actually, you know, I, I'm in control of my own time. Yeah. And that might mean that in the long run, um, I don't earn as much money, but I think there's so much value in that when life can just pass you by, right? For sure. Like if you, if you are able to do what you want and plan your day, rather than a sword hanging your, above your head. Obviously, like when you when you grow older, when you have a family, a lot of your time will depend on what they want to do or something. Mm-hmm. But if we can have a balance between work and them and taking time for yourself, again, mm-hmm. that's how that's why a lot of people uh, want to wake up early because they are like, okay, if I wake up at 5 a.m., I, I would probably get one or two hours to myself rather than by 7, 7.30 by the time the families are at yeah. their work. So you, you can do a lot more things for them rather than for ourselves. So time is so important. And how do you find it when you set yourself a new goal or ambition, New Year's resolutions, I'm sure you kind of set them and stuff. How do you find it as, as personally when you set a goal and how, how, how do you go about achieving it? And I guess the word that I'm thinking about is discipline. How, how do you maintain that discipline? I think uh, it was from the mindset uh, seminar which we did in DYP. By the way, that was the first uh, seminar or a session that I did in my life. That was with DYP almost year last year. Well, yeah, yeah, I forgot the chap's name, Andrew or um, Adrian. Adrian, Adrian O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said that when we put discipline um, out, it is more uh, like controlling, and it is more uh, in a like it, it's it's a little bit as a negative connotation to it. So rather than that, it should be more habit. So for me. How I manage my time is I, I there is a certain things that I like to do like I I like to go, go working out is a thing that I like to do rather than something that I have to do now because like I like going to the gym I like listening to my I don't listen to any uh, podcast or books there I have my uh, movie soundtracks playing uh, it's a place where I go to relax or uh, de stress now so that is um, one place which I like and then um, travel or go to the beach. So in Dubai, I have this very, uh, I have one or two uh, key things that I do, which is like anything which is uh, fun or social, I I see if I can do it uh, while I travel rather than in Dubai, because I would rather spend my days here working and uh, being more productive and doing a lot of fun things outside. So so for the last two years, I haven't, uh, seen a new Netflix series. I just uh, watched the repeat of The Office, which is my favorite show. That's something that I US or UK? The US. I watch it while I'm probably having food or that's the only television that I watch. Yeah. Um, no radio uh, because I, I kind of feel like I can use that time to be doing something else because mm. I, I feel like I've, done, I'm, I'm, I've taken on multiple projects like two companies and uh, the travel plus the book club there is there is a little bit of lit time that we have in a day and you have to get seven <laughs> hours of sleep on so so <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, yeah there's um there's just something that i wanted to bring up with you that i've just been looking at recently around discipline because that specific seminar i i challenged aiden specifically because i've always lived my life by a core value and that's discipline my number one rule in my entire life has been discipline and and i did challenge him and he did challenge me back and i remember he said um do you feel guilt when you don't do something you remember? Yeah. And uh, I definitely feel this high level of guilt when I don't do something that I felt like I should have. But I, I think it's still important to have those feelings, but to manage it in a way that it's not to your own detriment over the long term. Yeah. But there's a, 
there's this thing again Steve Bartlett I was listening to him and I really like it to quantify something around discipline so his his thinking is when it comes to discipline and if you want to quantify the likelihood of you executing on a specific task and finding success in it he said there's three core metrics so the first is how much joy do you find in something how much does something mean to you and then how much friction is there in actually doing that action and then I, I try to think, okay, if I'm going to the gym, if I use all three of those and score them out of 10, so how much joy does it bring me? Eight, I love going to the gym, I really, I really enjoy it, but sometimes I don't, so it's not a full 10. How much does it mean to me? Probably a nine, because I know if I don't go to the gym, I'm agitated, I can't have conversations, I'm not focused, I already feel like I've let myself down that day. So that's very important to me to kind of encapsulate me as an individual. So you've got eight and nine, so you add those two, so you have 17 and then the friction is the one that you deduct from that so the friction is obviously how difficult is it for you to actually do that activity and then for me i was thinking actually my entire life i've had the gym as close as possible yeah. so that for me the gym's either in my building or over the road i literally walk there it's two minutes to walk to the gym so the discipline score for me would be the nine plus the eight the 17 minus one so 16 out of a potential 20. it's pretty Exactly. And I, I think this is really good when you're thinking about, so, so you mentioned that you want to start meditation. I would ask you to run that, those metrics. If you're going to start doing, um, if you're going to start meditating, look at those three things. How much, how much does it mean to you? How much joy do you get from it? And the friction. Yeah. And the friction is really important when you're starting something new. Yeah. So it's like, you're, you, if you're meditating, I don't know what your setup might be, you might want a roll-up mat, you might feel uncomfortable but minimize the friction. Like have the mat even there, just prepared, ready, you know, in your yeah. living room. So the friction is as little as possible so you're more likely to do it. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a really good way of thinking about like starting something new. Yeah, and also the effect of compounding. Like we just finished this book uh, where the author says that when you start something small in a very tiny way, over the period of time, it compounds and, mm -hmm. it, uh, and then it becomes like a routine or a habit or a discipline later. But it's, people what they find harder is uh, starting something and being consistent like we go to the gym in Jan and Feb and March we are like oh no result we just give up so yeah. the the why is very important like you said uh, you have to find that that joy and uh, the reasoning to do it but at the same time you have to make it easier for you to do something because once uh, like if I stop gym for like two months and then I start then it's again I'm like starting uh, from the scratch like I used to uh, I, the, the reason why I'm not in the run club yet is because I used to run a lot, but since I stopped, I know how difficult it is to get mm. back into uh, running. Like you, there's that, a lot of friction there. There's a lot of friction. That crossing that two kilometer uh, mile would be like impossible in the beginning. But once you do, and you get you get all those feelings of runners high, and all, but you won't get it in the first. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah I completely agree with you. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think it's important. But the compounding thing that you mentioned, I, I've been looking up at this as well, and I was speaking to Rishi, our videographer, just, just, just before this, and I've got a kind of different school of thought when it comes to compounding, and it's, it's those micro decisions that you make that you promise yourself that you would make, and it doesn't even matter if it, it, it might not even align to like, okay, your goal is to build a, a, an unicorn. Yeah. There's all these things and decisions that you make in your business that you think align to that. But then I think you need to take it a step back into your personal life sometimes and think, and, and I was saying this, like even on the small, okay, if I've said I'm gonna go on the treadmill today and do five kilometers, I've done four, nobody knows I've done four. I can just say to everyone I've done five, 
but you know you've only done four. So I think there's that compounding when you say something to yourself and you hold it true. So then you build credibility and trust in your own mind. So when they, when things get tough, like in business, things get tough all the time, right? You need to make big decisions, but you can rest on the fact that you know for four or five years, when you've said something to yourself, you've actually delivered it. And that's my that's my take on the compounding effect yeah. when it comes to personal. Plus compounding helps in a lot of uh, other ways also. Like let's say you you do go on that treadmill and it was, it was only for let's say four kilometers instead of five. Mm -hmm. If you did that treadmill later during the evening, if you are going out, your mind wouldn't want to reach out to that uh, plate of fries maybe because you're like, oh, I, I spent like treadmill for uh, four kilometers and maybe I don't know. But if you don't do that, then it kind of, you. there is no reason to pull it back. So it kind of helps you overall in general and small habit change, small improvements, it makes a big difference over the period of time. Completely agree. And we, um, we, we usually like to wrap up the podcast and talk about, you know, your experience with YP Club. I know you've mentioned DYP a lot, but we're, we're kind of transitioning to more of a, well, obviously we're opening in Abu Dhabi and Riyadh, which I think will be exciting, but I'm curious as the founding member, the winner of the company of the year, somebody who's massively involved in the community, in, you know, your experience today, how have you found it? So, uh, I, I like I like a good underdog bootstrap story. So, I feel DYP or YP now, it is one of those because uh, earlier events, from what it was for three, five, ten members, I come to these events and it's like jam-packed. Uh, I, I tried to take tickets earlier because, you know, it's sold out and all. So, so the, 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 the journey of uh, DYP to YP, I've been fortunate to see and it has been incredible. I met a lot of real uh, kind people. I want to say kind because a lot of people say that oh, Dubai is like a that's a fake city or where you don't uh, make real connection. But if you come to uh, any of these DYP members, majority of the members are there who are just like you, who are friendly, who are kind, who are real. Mm -hmm. End of the day, and that's uh, this is what the platform creates, where you are mingling with people who are on a weekday out there rather than, let's say, going and sitting in their home in the couch and uh, binging something. They're there, out there networking, trying to uh, increase their network for professional or social or whatever reason. Like, I have, I have friends who uh, say that, oh, I'm not getting a boyfriend, but they don't step out of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so these people who might be doing all these efforts for whatever reason, they're, they're driven, they're out there doing, and it's, it's good to be part of this community. It has really helped me uh, personally, I have met so many friends from there who are uh, probably going to be there uh, for me uh, till forever. And also professionally, I met uh, Ona from uh, uh, from Untold uh, in one of these networking events. And right now we are doing uh, together uh, the music festival, which is happening in February. It's that four-day music festival, which Dubai has never seen. I might not have gotten this opportunity if it wasn't for UIP and a lot of other uh, potential clients that... Uh, we had I had the chance to interact with now when when it comes to YB I don't go with the mentality of okay I'm I'm here to look for business I'm yeah. more into uh, cultivating new relationships and learning and getting to know and getting inspired because we as a community it is uh, something that uh, helps us thrive and uh, we have awesome pleasure to have you thank you very much thank you so much Cam. cheers to all the best